before I jump in this morning, I want you know, God speaks to me sometimes in some, some unique and strange and curious and sometimes funny ways, but two things that have happened to me on the last two Sunday mornings. I sat at my kitchen table, turn on the light, the coffee's ready, I'm drinking coffee, sitting with one hand, or over here is my coffee, my, my, my tablet that I make my notes, and on the, on the left-hand side is my Bible. I have the light on, and, and I wear my glasses as I'm, as I'm studying. So I was, I was like leaning down like this last Sunday, really, really meditating on some of the words. And with these glasses, you know, I don't have to hold it like this. I get down close because they, they magnify. That's what reading glass, that's what happens after 40. You get reading glasses, make things closer, you know. So I'm down into my word like this. I'm just like, and I, I, I see a streak. Just out of one eye, I just felt like I saw a, a streak. I was like, what? And, and I looked like that, and it was a spider that came down. You bonk! And it even made that nut. And when it hit the table, it's like, I was like, in fact, because things look a little bigger with these reading glasses anyway, <laughs> I actually jumped out of my chair and jumped back because it just missed my nose and fell down and bonk. And when it hit, I tell you, and this is no exaggeration, it sat up just on its two back legs on its back end and it had its legs up as ready to do battle. And when I took my glasses off and looked closely, it was about the head of an eraser or something, about like the end of my little finger. But when it just drops down like that and hits in front of me, I jumped up out of my chair, took two steps backwards because that absolutely startled me. That little spider, and, and it's ready to do battle there. Then it started back up that thing, the web that, that had let it down, which made that clunk. I know it didn't mean to hit the table that hard, but it surely got my attention when it did. And it's like, I can't believe that you even scared me. I'm not like deathly afraid of spiders, just a little bit. I grabbed a couple pieces of paper and squished that little guy between those two pieces of paper. Oh, who said that? It's like, oh. I didn't squish it all over the paper, just enough to kill it. I laid it back down there as a trophy and left it there sitting on that paper till the, till the next morning, till I, could, uh, till I could show them my trophy to somebody and explain what, what had happened right there on my table where I was studying. I thought, man, it is so, it's so interesting that something like that startled me, scared me, caused me to get up out of my chair and take two steps backwards. A stupid little spider. Squished, it's done, it's over. Well, that was last Sunday morning between 3.30 and 5 o'clock as I was studying. This morning, something really interesting happened. Oh, no. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> something really interesting happened. I was, I was drinking my coffee, and uh, now you have to know that my coffee is special coffee. It, it takes some work to prepare coffee just the way that I like it. And I like it better than Starbucks. I like it better than Dutch Bros. It's strong. It has just the right amount of honey and the right amount of heavy whipping cream. That's how I make my coffee. And, and I have to, oh, a little bit more, oh, maybe a little bit more whipping cream. Get that stuff just right. And ah, man, I enjoy that then. That's what gets me going between... I know somewhere between three and five and six o'clock in the in the Sunday mornings. I, I don't get up that time. I told Renee I'm sleeping in in the morning. I'm setting my alarm for three forty-five, and I did. So I was drinking my coffee and just reading and reading, and I decided just to take a look and see how much coffee I had left in there. Mind you, it takes me a lot of effort to get my coffee the way I like it. You got that right. I look in that cup with my glasses on, and there's a little gnat in my coffee. It's like, are you kidding me? And I, it's not swimming or anything, it's, it's just laying on top of my coffee there. It's like, oh, hmm, do I drink it? I have a fork right there. It's like, well, I will get it out with that fork. 
So I took that fork and I tried to get with one prong, try to pick that gnat out of there. Instead, it disappeared. <laughs> like, shoot, now what? Stirred it around a little bit, think it's bound to come to the surface. It didn't come to the surface. Now what? That's a lot of work to get just exactly the way you want that coffee to be. And now there's an ad in there. What do I do? As I was pondering that, I just felt the Lord say, you know, this is how I teach. I said, oh, okay. So do I drink it or not? He says, I need you to look up the scripture. It's like, okay. So I look up Matthew 23, 24. Matthew 23, 24. Okay. Matthew 23, 24, about the gnat. Uh, <clears throat> I'll even back up to uh, back up to 23, and then we'll go 23, 24, and 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and, and those other two, anise and cumin. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law: justice, mercy, and faith. These are things that you should have been doing anyway without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel it's like what woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish but inside they're they are full of extortion and self-indulgence Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Yes, that's what I said. Wow. Wow. And I have a gnat in my coffee. <laughs> so what do you do with a gnat in your coffee after you read that? I drank it. I thought, surely, that thing is really, really small. Surely I will filter that with my teeth. I mean, it was less than a half a cup, but I'm telling you, it takes a lot to get my coffee just right. The bottom of the cup, no gnat. It's like, huh. Not going to let that bother me. It was really good coffee. Not going to let that bother me. It, it, I was not able to sift it out. So there's a natural process that's going to take place. Either it's protein that it's going to be some sustenance for me, or it's waste, and I'll flush it. Right? So I want you to figure out what that means. No, I believe that, that there are th three things in that, and then I'm going to get to the message, but both in the, in the spider last week, you know, there, there are things that, that just jump out. We have an enemy, we have an enemy that absolutely will use things to frighten us, even cause me to run backwards there for a couple of steps, and it's that big around. I want to take my glasses off, and it was just, we took care of that. And there are things that can just absolutely, we can, we can focus. It could have ruined that whole rest of my coffee cup to focus on that silly little gnat. I can focus on that silly little gnat. When everything else is just perfect there, I can focus on that little gnat instead of that perfect cup of coffee. And it will ruin it, right? Yeah. Does this make sense to anybody this morning? Yes. Okay. Don't focus on the gnat. 
Okay, we're turning now to Matthew 4.10. Talk about the enemy here just a little bit. Matthew 4.10. You remember what this is about? The devil took Jesus. He'd been baptized Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. He was led out to the wilderness to be tested. He was tested directly by the devil himself. And the third temptation, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The kingdoms of the world and their glory. Got it? The glory of the kingdoms of the world showed it to him, and he said, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say to him? Get away from me. Away with you, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then what happened? Now, the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. He stood strong, he used the word, he rebuked the devil, said, get, get out of here, get behind me. I will have nothing to do with you, I will worship the Lord only. I will not fall into your schemes and the glory that comes from the worldly kingdom. I want to let's Turn to Matthew sixteen thirteen through twenty seven. See the devil the devil is somebody that just absolutely doesn't give up. And he will try many, many, many different ways, alternative routes to get in. He will use people. He will use things. He will use relationship. He will use different types of temptation. Find you at a weak, weak moment to tempt you, to get you to do something to buy into his kingdom. And it's so important how, when, and where that we recognize the enemy and his attempts, Satan. So Jesus, this just, this just blows my mind here. So I'm going to start with the 13th, 13th verse, 16th chapter of Matthew. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to him, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh, so what's Jesus saying to Peter right there? He's saying, you've heard from God. You hear the voice of God. He's teaching you. You're hearing from the Spirit of God, right? This is something that he heard from the Spirit, was not derived from flesh, not derived from teaching. You've heard from God, Simon. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus recognized that Peter had a word from God and has shared it. He's recognized who Jesus is now and made that declaration. Got it? Everybody agree? Yes. All right. So Jesus continues, he says, and also, 
You know, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And also, I say to you that you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. As he says, my church. Whose church are we building? Is Peter building? The church of Jesus Christ. My church. On this rock, on this premise, on this statement that you see, that you recognize, that God has revealed to you that I am the Son of God, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, shall not prevail against it. You know, when we, when we look, see, and study, that it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. As we move into this series that I'm talking about and start talking about the church, we're going to come back to this uh, because, you know, it says the gates of, of, of hell will not prevail over the church. That sounds like... That, that the hordes of hell are coming out of those gates and they're swarming the church, but I believe that it's just the opposite. That Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and the gates of hell will not prevail against the Christians that are marching with and for Jesus, that army of the Lord that's going to take... from the gates of hell. Storm the gates of hell. Okay. And Jesus continues as he's speaking over Peter. I'm going to build my church on that right there. And that you are steadfast, that you are the rock, Peter. That's what he sees in Peter, speaks prophetically over Peter, right? Now we know that he knew because he knows the hearts of man and he knows the shortcomings and our failings that Peter was going to soon fail. Wouldn't you say? Yet he made this declaration and spoke this over Peter, knowing that ultimately that's what was going to happen. I also say to you that you are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's like, Peter, this is it. I'm explaining this to you. This is what's going to happen. The rest of the disciples heard this spoken over Peter. I'm sure they were in awe of what they heard. Then he began to teach his disciples and command them uh, that, you know what, don't tell anybody what has just been revealed here in this little meeting that we've had. Keep this to yourselves, okay? Then verse 21, from that time... Jesus then began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed. Can you imagine being one of the disciples when he says, I'm going to be killed. It's like, we've only had three years with you. We're learning, 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 learning. We're being blessed, blessed, blessed. We're being taught. We're being empowered. Now you're going to be killed? How do we process this? And be raised again the third day. Well, they had, they had no grid for that whatsoever. Be raised again on the third day? What, what does he even mean by this? So Peter took him aside. So Peter said, Jesus, I need to have a little talk with you. A separate talk, a me and you talk. I think these things that you've spoken over me have been absolutely awesome. I've been empowered. I know that I'm the rock. I know that I will never fail you. I will never leave you. I have got your back. I'm your biggest... Supporter, now I need to have a talk with you, Jesus. And he took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Jesus, knock off that nonsense. Don't even be talking like that. Can you just hear that? It's like, what, what are you saying? Far be it from you, Jesus, Lord God, that this shall not happen to you. Now, Jesus is speaking to, I mean, Peter is speaking to Jesus. This ain't happening to you. I got your back. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He turns and says, get thee behind me, Satan. It's like, ouch. 
I just said, I am your loyalist fan. I've got my sword. I am going to battle for you. I got your back. Jesus, we're not even going to talk like that. There's a kingdom that you're going to be establishing. Jesus, don't talk like that. I got big plans for you. And Jesus says to Peter, you're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God. It's like, Peter, you're not hearing from God right here now. This is your flesh screaming out. There's an incredible lesson right here for us, just in this, in, in this beginning right, right here. It's like, see, we, we, we think of our, even sometimes the gifts that we have, impetuous, impulsive Peter, he, he wants to protect Jesus. He wants to protect him, and, he, and he's got a, man, he has this plan in his own mind of how this is supposed to work, and because he has that in his mind, his flesh is screaming out, no, 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 this can't be, Jesus. This can't be. And believes that he's speaking truth to the best of his ability, but all it is is his flesh coming to the surface, and it's the enemy using him, speaking to Jesus, words of the devil. Is this making sense? That there are well-meaning people, there are family members, there are beloved people in our lives that mean the best for us, speaking words to us, speaking words over us, that they think because they're operating out of their flesh. See, when we're led by the Spirit and when we're hearing from the Spirit, we have got to learn to rise above our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, because that's our flesh getting involved. And when our flesh gets involved, we can be saying something that we think is best for somebody, but it is so not of God because the enemy can use our gifts, even those of compassion, of loyalty, and of desire for somebody, can be speaking directly. <laughs> we can be the mouthpiece of the devil when our flesh gets involved. This makes sense? It's like, ouch, ouch, ouch. So it is so incredibly important, so incredibly important that we have that relationship of our own with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we have the discernment through the Holy Spirit to discern which spirit that somebody is speaking from when they're speaking into our lives. Because what did Peter mean? He, uh, he meant the best for Jesus from his perspective, but it was his flesh screaming out. <laughs> no, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. So when you know, we have a, 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 a school, a school of supernatural ministry where we are learning discernment, where we are learning to share prophetic words. And as we teach and as we encourage and, and teach and teach and teach, you know, if you receive a word that you need to end up filtering that word through the Holy Spirit to determine if that is a spirit, what spirit that word comes from, or if it's just strictly from flesh. Sometimes that's a word that we put on the shelf. Sometimes it's a word that we flush. But if it connects with our spirit and that Holy Spirit within us, it's like, oh, yes, oh, yes. Then we lean into that word, and only then.
All right. Got it? Romans 12, 2. Talks about speaking to us not to be conformed to this, to this world or to the standards of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But who, who sets the standards of the world? Ever thought about that? That we're not to be trans, conformed to the standards of this world. Who, who sets the standards of this world? Okay. Let's look at uh, let's look at John fifteen one. I think I think we can. I believe that's where we will find. We'll find out if that's where we find. John fifteen one. Nope, not there. Um, da, da, da. How about fourteen thirty? Forty thirty. That's it. I'm not going to talk to you a whole lot more. This is Jesus is, is preparing his disciples. I'm not going to end up talking to you a whole lot more for the rule of this world. The ruler. The standard setter of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So, who establishes the patterns of the world, the standards of the world, where Jesus says, we're in this world, but we're not of this world? Satan, the enemy. The same one who offered to Jesus, I, I give you the glory here, you can have the glory, this worldly glory, I, I'll give that all to you. Second Jesus said, no, get away from me. I want to have nothing to do with you. The standards, the habits and patterns of this world are established by our enemy. Jesus said, the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. I've preached on that before, that he has nothing in me. It's like, you know, when somebody has a secret on you. You know, where, there's, where you have, a, even let's just say, a secret sin that only you know about, well, only you, well, Jesus and Satan know about, he has nothing in me. You said he has nothing in me. He has absolutely no leverage. And when we walk in complete freedom, we then can end up saying the same thing. He has nothing in me. My sin has all been confessed. My sin has been forgiven. So he has nothing left in me. And that's exactly where we want to be. Confessed, forgiven, slate cleaned. He got nothing on me. Got nothing on me. Got nothing in me. We're cleaned out. And we're going to keep going because I believe, I believe that as we get through some more, some more scripture and a little bit more of the word of God, that that's a place that we're all going to go today. It cleaned out. Let's just get it, get it cleaned out, get it completely taken care of, where we're walking in complete freedom, knowing that he has nothing in me. We all ready for that? All right, how about now we try going to uh, Matthew 16, 23. So we finished up. Says, get thee behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me. Then we go on down to 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his what? His what? Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. To his works. We were created before the beginning of time for good works. You see, we are not only the ambassadors for Jesus, but we're the hands and feet for Jesus. There really is nothing accomplished that doesn't come through man. It's accomplished in the spiritual realm first, but we have to walk it out and do the stuff. Right? Everybody's looking at me a little bit like, maybe you don't agree with that? Then let me straighten you out. <laughs> no. We were created for good works. And we were given authority and dominion over the earth. But it doesn't just take care of itself. We're the hands and feet that actually accomplish it. And we, through submission to Jesus Christ and attachment to, I'm going to get back to that in just a few minutes, are called to be those hands and feet of Jesus. And when the Son of Man comes, the rewards that he has for us are for our good works. Is that not what it says in Scripture right here? Everybody's still really quiet. We're not saved by our works. We are rewarded for our works. We're not saved by works. We're rewarded for our works. And he's got buckets and buckets of rewards for us that he wants to bless us with. I go to prepare a house for you, and in my Father's house are many mansions. I really want to bless you. I, I, I really want to bless you. But we're all going to stand before him, being judged for the works that we have done as we stand in line for our blessings and our rewards. <laughs> I just love, I wish everyone could see the faces that I'm looking at here. About half of them looking pretty perplexed right now. It's like, you're talking about works, Pat. No, don't get it confused. Don't get it confused. We're saved by grace through faith. We're made righteousness through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are rewarded for the good works that we do that he has called us and given us to do. Okay. Yeah, I think that, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, one of the things, we're going we're to move on here just in a second, but I want to talk about this a little bit more. So I, I have written down here, heart, motives that are revealed. So a, as we're called to good works, and as he starts to give us the gifts that we need to do those works, as we begin doing those works, motives, heart motives, start to get revealed. Now, we can start to take pride and get all puffed up in the works that we start to do. That just reminds me of a story. Um, I was part of another church for 18 years, actually, before I, I came here. And as a part of that church and as part of being a reasonably successful businessman, I was at a fundraising auction for that church, and the most expensive thing that they had that they sold at that auction was a, a, a hand quilt that several of the families 
had put together, and I paid almost $3,000 for a quilt, which I was thinking that was pretty awesome, and I got a standing ovation after I was the highest bidder, after I bought the most expensive thing, which was, which was that quilt, and I was like, yes, yes. And I received my reward for that as I gloried in the, yay, yay, yay. Are you following me? That's the only reward I'm going to get for that $3,000 donation. It's what we do privately and what we do in secret that God watches and sees. But what we do in front of people to end up getting some glory here, whether it's praying for people, whether it's giving to the poor, whether it's doing whatever it is, God's looking for heart motive. Like, why are you doing it? If I give more to this church than anybody else gives, what's my motive in that? Am I looking to be somebody's hero here? Am I going to get some applause? Am I it's like, no, 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 no. It's like, it, it, we, we negate that. That doesn't even count. You're not getting any reward for that. You just got your reward with all of the cheering and all that. It's what we do in secret before the Lord as we're hearing his voice and obedient to that voice that we're going to reap the incredible eternal rewards for. Yes, that's what I'm waiting for. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Like the widow's might, you know. So. Where our heart motives are revealed. Okay, now let's go to John 15. This is where we ended last Sunday. I am the true vine, fifteen one. I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Remember what abiding means? It means by, that we live by the rules of, live up to the standards of. It's like abiding in Christ. And I, I talked about making the connection. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He is the only way. He is the Father sees us through the eyes of Jesus, made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through our faith in him and that sacrifice and that declaration that we make, right? And we see the Father through the eyes of, the Je through the eyes of Jesus and the example that he has been to us, the love that he shared with us, for us, towards us, with us, and continues to share and pour out on us, allows us to see and experience the love of the Father through the Son. We all got that from last week. Now we've heard it twice, so we're getting closer to getting it. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." By this my Father is glorified. Now, by the works that we do, who gets the glory? 
the Father. As we're doing them the works that we do, abiding in Jesus, <laughs> receiving from Jesus, just passing on the love of the Father which comes through the Son, which goes through us, to us, and through us, when that's what we are and who we are and what we're doing, we are becoming his disciples. How many want to be a disciple of Jesus? That's almost half. <laughs> Maybe I should ask that again. I think, wow. Huh. I think... <laughs> You want to stand up and count with me, Louis? <laughs> want to go to heaven and you want to get some reward, don't you? Just, just want to just barely, just barely make it through the fire, just barely make it to heaven? Or do you want to go with abundant rewards to heaven? Then we do his bidding, then we do his work, we do what he's called us to do so we can become his disciples. Disciples are those that are, are, are learning the discipline of his love. We're being discipled by the love of Jesus. Becoming his disciples. Abiding in the discipline of his love. Oh, I like this. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That's a whole nother standard. Abide in my love. Live in and by the standards and rules of my love. We abide by the rules of the land. We abide by the rules of the school. We abide, we, you know, all kinds of things that we abide by. Now it's abide in my love. <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect love casts out all fear, little spider. Huh. Shiny object. Squirrel. What? Sidetracked. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. That's like last week I was talking about, you know, floating down the river of love, being guided and directed down the river of love when we jump in completely immersed in the love of Jesus and we're, and we're just going down, going down that, that river. It's like abide in the rules of my love. Two commandments that go along with those rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all all your strength, with all your understanding. Love God with all that you are and all who you are. And then the next one, which is like 10 times harder. What's the other one? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, okay, that is denying myself. When I start seeing my neighbor, I remember... When I was just, I'd been coming to this church for just a few years and at, the, at the old church over there, and I felt God speak to me so clearly one Sunday morning. He says, you don't really love me until you can love every one of these people. It's like, oh, well, it's not hard to love him, and it's not hard to love her, but him, <laughs> her, oh, God. Are you serious about that? It's like, yes, I'm absolutely serious about that. In order for you to love someone that you don't even see, you're going to have to learn to love your brothers and sisters that are around you, that you do see, that you do experience. It's like, that's what I'm calling you to do. Love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. It's like, well... There are some things that I need to get a real grip on, and that's an identity on who I am in Christ in order to love my neighbor as I love myself because I have to have 
a pretty strong love affair with myself to be ready to be loving to those around me. So I have an identity in Christ that I need to learn to understand to be able to love those around me properly, effectively, passionately, and Jesus-like. Oh. So, yeah, let's read on a little bit. Okay. Boy, it sure is quiet in here. It's like here a pen drops. Holy Spirit working on you? Are you hearing something that's can be life changing for you? Thirty three. Let's go to thirty three. These things I've spoken to you. Thirty three, that would be Chapter 16 in John, verse 33. I'm sorry. Skipping around here just a little bit. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me, <laughs> in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. When we are connected to the true vine, when we are connected to the true vine, he's in us, we're in him. That is like, I described last week, the umbilical cord. In him we can have peace because he has overcome the world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are set apart. Scripture says, if I were to go a little deeper, that, you know what, the world's going to hate you, but they hated me first. They crucified me. One of the things that we have to realize is that we are set apart. We are not supposed to be part of the world system. He's calling us out to be the examples, to be the ones that invade the gates of hell. Do you get it? We're called out to be separate. We're not supposed to fit in with everybody. We're supposed to be the example that when they come into hard times, when they need a savior, when they need something different that the world system does not offer them, they come to us. Because we're called out. We're set apart. It says, Scripture says, if, Jesus says, if you love me, take up your cross and follow me. That's something that oh, I've, I've only preached on that one time because that just take up your cross. It sounds like something so laborsome, so difficult, so something so heavy and so hard to bear is take up your cross and follow me. But that cross is the cross of salvation. It's the cross of forgiveness. It's the cross of healing by his stripes on that cross. We are healed. When I think of take up your cross and follow me, it's carrying that cross of remembrance for the price that he paid, for what he accomplished, for the blood that he shed. And I look at that cross and say, yes, thank you, Jesus for who you are, for what you've done for me. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what you did and the price that you paid on that cross, that there is where my salvation took place 
by the sacrifice that you made for me. I am made righteous by the blood that you shed on that cross. And stepping to the other side of the cross is how God sees me on the other side of that cross through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, as righteous and forgiven. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that cross. Thank you, God, for your plan of salvation. But for me to come to a place, but, but, but for me to bear much fruit, I need to be that clean vessel that he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. I'm connected to the source. I'm empowered by the source. And that source is Jesus Christ, the true vine. Connected to the source. And in being connected to the source, I have crucified my flesh on that cross. Scripture in Romans is telling us that we were, we were buried with him in baptism. And in being buried with him in baptism, we have crucified the old man. We were also crucified with Christ. So when I look at the cross, when I carry and bear my own cross, I think I just take a look at that cross and say, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing to me something else. Because he came to, he came to convict the world of sin. And that conviction continues in our relationship with him, but it's a righteous and a holy conviction where he says, now we need to deal with this. That I can just tack that to the cross, more flesh to the cross, more flesh to the cross and deny myself through and because of the cross of Jesus Christ and the remembrance of that cross, which I carry, which I gladly carry, because it brings the opportunity traveling with me all the time. Does this make sense? That I can I can just put that on the cross. I, I put that on the cross. I put that on the cross. I put that on the cross. This is good news. It's, it's the good news. I thank you for that cross. I thank you for that cross that, that I have to carry and that I am gladly and willing to take up every day that cross as a reminder and as the, because of the freedom that I walk in, it's like when he reveals to me something else that needs to be put on the cross, it's so simple, it's right there. You got it? And that's available for every one of us when we're willing to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light my burden is easy and my yoke is light and I want rest for your soul my burden is easy my yoke is light and I want rest for your soul you know what a yoke is remember those I mean, people stick mirrors in them and stuff now, those leather things that they went around oxen. Sometimes they went around like plow horses and stuff. And it was because they were yoked together, sometime a team of two, a team of four, a team of six. And see, when we yoke up, when we yoke up with Jesus, he's taking on our burdens. And the load gets so much, so much lighter because we yoke him up in position number one, and we're just following behind. It's like, you lead, you lead, you lead. And man, he's pulling us along with that cross that we're carrying, that's just right there handy for us to be able to, it's like, oh, oh yeah, I need to get rid of that. 
I am so willing to get rid of that. Joyful repentance. I don't want that in my life. I, I, I don't want that in my life. I want to be fruitful, Jesus. So when, <laughs> when we are the branches, he is the vine, the vine dresser, the father, works through the son and starts doing some trimming. That's what we talked about just last week. But it's not until you start to produce some fruit does he start the trimming process, the pruning process. I mean, some of you may say, I've not ever gone through a pruning process. Well, then you've never started producing any fruit or it would be happening. And once you start producing fruit, which comes through anointed works, anointed works, works connected to Jesus, produces awesome fruit. Yeah, well, I, I like that. Anointed works produces amazing fruit. Yeah, somebody should write that down. Wow. So we want to be fruitful. We need to be connected. We need to be so connected to the vine. And in that connection to the vine, as we're yoked with Jesus and carrying that cross, it's ready and ready for us to just tack one more thing, one more slab of flesh on. <laughs> that sounds almost gross, doesn't it? One more slab of flesh on there because we don't want to be operating in the flesh. We don't want to be speaking out of or from the flesh. We don't want to be acting out on the flesh. We want to be living, walking in, by, and through the Spirit of God. Let's stand together. Jesus says, abide in my love. Live by the rules of my love. Love the Father with all your heart, with all your soul, with all that you got, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm gonna give you the strength to do that. When you yoke up with me, see, he loves us so much that he wants us to walk in that complete freedom, in that complete freedom where we can say, he's got nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. There's an old, an old song that I asked Christy this, this morning. As, in fact, I called her when she was here. If, if, if you guys would be able to do, were you able to, I surrender? I think as we sing this, this song together, I surrender all, because he wants us to step into that place of complete freedom complete freedom where we're light light where we're light where he has nothing where the enemy has nothing in us nothing in us it's like where we say Jesus Jesus all to you as we sing this song let this be the song of your heart let this be the cry of your heart this morning as we just surrender it all to Jesus that we can walk out of here saying Devil, you got nothing in me. You have nothing in me. You got nothing. You got nothing. You got nothing. Let's just say that together. You got nothing. <laughs> for a little bit, we're going to pray here just in, in, in a few minutes, but for a little bit, I just like to sing together. I surrender all. I surrender. surrender is hands raised. The universal sign for surrender is we just surrender it all to you, Jesus. Our desire is to be what you're called us to be.
just ask you into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Satan, you have no place. You have no place in here. You have no place in anyone that is in here. And as we empty out, we just say more of you, Lord. More of you. Fill every room. Fill every compartment of my being with your goodness, with your love, with your Holy Spirit. I want to be full to overflowing with your spirit because the enemy has nothing in me and I surrender it to you, Jesus. I surrender all to you. And the altar is open. If you want to come to the altar, if you want to get on your knees at the altar, the invitation is out there. Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling us to surrender it to him. He wants to be Lord of your He wants to be Lord of He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants you to yoke up with him, to follow in his footsteps because he loves you so much. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his willing, able, and sinless son to be the sacrifice for you, for your sins, on that cross. Thank you, Jesus.